0: Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Our text this morning will be verses 1 through 7. Now, I remember back in 2019, and I believe it was the spring. Some of you will probably remember this better than I do. But during the spring of 2019, we began to receive... might have been the summer. We began to receive tremendous amounts of rain here in Alney. And one morning after church... And after Sunday school, Jimmy Mayers came to me and he said, the preschool teachers got here this morning and they discovered that the basement was flooded. And we had just recently remodeled that basement classroom, which is underneath the old worship center, which is now the gymnasium. And we didn't understand at the time, and I'm not sure we understand now how the water was getting in. It was either running off the street or only someone told me had a shallow water table and it could have just risen up into the basement. But I walked down there with Jimmy and we looked in the basement and there were literally thousands of gallons of water in the basement and people were pulling water out of the basement for weeks. We were using pumps and trying to get all the water out there. And I'll tell you, I don't know much about construction, but when Jimmy walked me down there and we opened the door and I looked inside there, I had one thought running through my mind. This is going to be expensive. And then in the weeks to come, we discovered that when you went down there and you knocked the plaster wall down, the studs that were supposed to be holding up the building were rotted out. And we surmised that the building was being held up by the concrete pillars or maybe the building was just holding itself up. But if we were going to repair the old 1916 building, it was going to be costly or we needed to decide to tear it down. So once we started thinking about the old building and what needed to be done, perhaps the 1916 building was no longer a fit for us. And our property committee began to consider, well, we had a building that People built in 1916 that lasted over 100 years. So we began as the property committee to look at our building and facility situation and to consider how do we position our church now for the next 100 years. So we began to eat, meet with the, uh, our, the uh, consultants and the architects. And I took one look at their plans and I said to myself... This is going to be expensive. And when I said that, I was not talking about the cost of time or effort or prayer or planning, although those all matter. I was talking about cold, hard cash. And I was actually thinking about your cold, hard cash the money in your pockets and the money in your bank accounts. As Adrian Rogers used to say, there's gold in them, their pews. The only problem is it's still in your pockets. And giving is one of those things that preachers don't generally like to talk about. But I've gotten over that. And actually, whenever we come to verses that talk about giving, well, we're going to talk about giving because it's in Scripture. And finances and stewardship appear as a theme throughout all of Scripture, and that is for a reason. So we begin today to look at 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, which are two chapters in the Bible that most heavily discuss monetary giving. And I don't want to seem like I'm sounding al- an alarm. I'm not trying to drum up panic. I've been here almost a decade. Others of you have been here much longer than me. Ron's been here since he was seven years old, Our a member since he was seven years old. And I guess you were here long before that as a, as a baby. But Ron can testify, I can testify, many others can testify that God always meets the needs of this church. And so we want to praise God for his faithfulness to us. But today, I want you to think about the money you give or the money you don't give to the church to support the needs of the ministry. And I want you not to think about this necessarily in the context of, hey, we're going to have to build something. We're going to have to remodel something. We have a very high budget. Those things are all true. There are many needs that have to be met. But I want you to think about your monetary giving, your financial stewardship in the context, not necessarily of the needs, but in the context of your walk with Jesus Christ, your sanctification, Sanctification is the process whereby you become more like Jesus Christ a little more every day. But well, this is not about the budget. It's not about a duty that you have or even something that should become automatic in your giving. But I want you to consider today how your giving, and I'm talking about giving money, how does it reflect and reveal your very faith in God and in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because if we will think about our giving in terms of our walk with Christ, we're not going to have a problem meeting the budget. We're not going to have a problem building anything. Now you may consider your money that's given to the church as something that's totally divorced from your spiritual life. but it shouldn't be that way. Paul, in our passage this morning, uh, points to the Corinthians, uh, points out this truth to the Corinthians. And this would be the sermon in a sentence, if you will. Our sacrificial and generous monetary giving is an important result of the work of God's grace in our life. Let me say it again. Our sacrificial and generous monetary giving is an important result of the work of God's grace in our life. Last week, our text focused on, if you'll remember, we looked at the entirety of chapter 7. And we talked about the comfort and joy that the Corinthian church was bringing to Paul's heart. They were repentant. They had had been rejecting him, and now they had turned and they were receiving him and his instruction. And so he was receiving comfort and joy from them. Then he moves into chapter 8, where he wants to encourage them to follow through on a commitment that they had made to comfort and to meet the needs of the Christians in Jerusalem who were suffering from Great poverty and persecution by the Jews. So to encourage these Corinthians, he tells them to encourage them to give and to continue in their commitment to help the saints in Jerusalem, he tells them about the believers in Macedonia and how they have also pledged and how they've also generously given to the Christians in Jerusalem. We can break this passage up, verses 1-7, through into three sections. In verses 1 through 4, we see the Macedonian Christians giving to the Christians in Jerusalem. There's a description of what their giving is like. In, cha- in verse 5, we see the Macedonian Christians giving themselves to the Lord first, and then to his apostle, Paul. And then we, in verse 6 and 7, see the Macedonian Christians setting, setting an example for the Corinthians. So let's look at verse 1 and we'll see how the giving of these Macedonians is described and how the Macedonians themselves are described. The apostle says in verse 1, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction... So when we look there at these verses, even looking at verse 1, and indeed in the entirety of these two chapters, Paul does not tell the Corinthians that they need to tithe. He doesn't say in verse 1, let me tell you about the tithe that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. He says something much greater. (laughs) He says, let me tell you about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of of Macedonia. Let's talk for a minute about the tithe, because when you start to mention uh, stewardship, financial stewardship in church, it's kind of the elephant in the room, isn't it? The tithe, as I see it, and people can reasonably disagree on this, but the tithe is not actually commanded in the New Testament. In fact, the giving in the Old Testament was quite different than the giving that we see in the New Testament. There are many kinds of offerings that are given in the Old Testament. And those specific offerings don't necessarily come forward in the New Covenant. The interesting thing about the tithe is that it existed before God made the covenant with, with Moses. Abraham, we see tithing. So tithing is sort of a timeless principle that we see in Scripture, but it's never actually commanded in the New, uh, the new Covenant. What is commanded in the New Covenant is much more dynamic and much more expensive. We are called in the New Testament to give faithfully, from the heart, generously, sacrificially, with cheer. And the real mercy is that the tithe can be understood to be a good guide for what generous money giving in the church looks like. I say it's a mercy because of this. If I was going to say to you, "Okay, I have a hundred dollars and I want to give it to Richard," I'll just, I'm just you're the first person I saw, Richard. So you get lucky today. Uh, if I said I've got hundred dollars, I want to give give some of it generously to Richard, wouldn't we probably think that generous giving to Richard of my hundred dollars would be more than ten dollars? We would say that's not generous. You should give him eighty. <laughs> You should really just give him the whole thing, right? But whatever we think about generous giving to the Lord, we have this sort of guide that's helpful as a baseline of that 10%. That's pretty much a mercy in my mind, because we, of course, would come up with a much higher number if we were determining how we should give generously, especially if we're determining how we should give generously to the One who has saved us from eternal death and given us eternal life. What do we truly owe Jesus? Everything. So while the tithe isn't necessarily in view here, as Paul's writing this, don't think for a minute that generous giving would look like less than a tithe. Notice how the Macedonian Christian giving is described. It doesn't sound like they're holding much back. This is for a few reasons. Number one, we're, we're told that their giving reflected God's grace. What is God's grace? If I just said to you, what is God's grace? The grace of God is God so loved the world. He gave His one and only Son. The grace of God is the compassion of Jesus on the lowest of the low giving himself to people who don't deserve it the grace of God is Jesus laying down his life for the sheep the grace of God is the gift of the Holy Spirit the grace of God is giving you what Jesus deserves and the grace of God is Jesus taking all your sin and the punishment that you deserve upon himself Their giving reflected God's grace. Second, they gave during a very difficult time. They gave, verse 2 says, as they were afflicted. But in the midst of this persecution that caused extreme poverty, they had an abundance of joy in the Lord. We could say it this way. They had a certain perspective that only poverty can give. They understood reality better because they had nothing and because they were being afflicted. And it caused them, Paul says, to overflow with generosity. What do we think of there? There should be a little lady at the temple that comes into your mind when we talk about giving all that you have when you've got extreme poverty, but you're overflowing with generosity. We think of the story in Mark chapter 12 of the little woman, the widow who came to the temple treasury. To give an offering. And God's word tells us that she was surrounded there at the temple by the treasury by all the rich people who were giving large gifts. Do you think that she knew that the Lord Himself, the creator of everything, her maker, was standing right there watching as she walked in? And Dan brought me some little replicas of some coins from the Bible time. And one of them is the widow's mite. And it's a tiny little coin. It's smaller than a dime. And it wasn't worth much. And here are all these people giving gifts because they're rich. And yet God Himself standing there points out to His disciples, watch her. Watch her. She's giving the most, even though she's giving the least. Because she's giving all she has. Jesus said it this way. She's giving her livelihood. And Jesus praised her because she gave herself everything to him. She walked into that temple to give for the pure joy of worship. She didn't care who saw. And when she threw those two coins into the bucket, she had no idea where the next meal was coming from. She probably thought to herself on the way, that offering is going to be expensive. But what an amazing thing that her act of giving was seen by God Himself. And her giving was commended by God Himself. In verses 3 and 4, they tell us that the, the Macedonians were giving according to their means and then some. Okay, that is the sacrifice. Think about the little widow lady. She gave according to her means and then some. Now, when I was in college and in high school, we used to love something about being a young man and going to a buffet. All the guys, nodded their heads, yes, you're right. It didn't matter where it was. It could have been going to CeCe's, or we could have been going to Poncho's, or we could have been going to the Chinese food buffet. But we would say to each other as we walked in, We would say, all right, fellas, we wouldn't say eat until you're full. We would say, eat until it hurts. We're going to get our money's worth today. Of course, that's ridiculous. But it's a good way to think about giving. We should give until it hurts. Don't just give what you can afford to give. Give to the point where you can feel it. We should always be looking for ways we can spare a little more here or a little more there. How were the Macedonians giving? In verse four, it says they actually begged to give. What a joy that was for Paul! Can you imagine that? If 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 you you maybe you go elsewhere and you feel like you're just constantly trying to compel people to give and give and give. But imagine if you're the preacher or uh, the the chairman of the finance committee, and the people are like, "Can we give some more? I know we've given this much, but is there is there are there more needs that we can meet?" Well, there are always more needs that we can meet. And what a blessing for Paul there to receive this this earnestness from them where they begged. And and this happens in our church often, actually, where I'll send out maybe a note to the deacons and I'll say, We have a need. We need $500 for this to send somebody to rehab or whatever it could be. And just a matter of seconds, it's met and there's more than enough to meet the need. And I always think, What a blessing! Uh, It is to have people that are so generous who are always so willing to give. And then he says, going back to verse 5, he says, we didn't expect this, but these people weren't just giving to the Jerusalem church. It was deeper than that. Who were these people giving themselves to? Not just the saints in Jerusalem. It says, they gave not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. What was driving this generosity of these Macedonian Christians? The money given was a result of them giving themselves first to the Lord who had first given Himself to them. How can you be that kind of giver? Give yourself to the Lord first. And then it says that they also gave themselves to Paul and his companions. Now, What could that mean? How could we, how would that apply today? Well, Paul at this time represented the authority of God. You know, when the apostles spoke, the apostles were speaking on behalf of Jesus. Now we understand that the Word of God, the commandments that we have in the Word of God, what we learn when we go to Scripture to read it, that that's our authority in the way that Paul was their authority, And so if you want to be that kind of giver, give yourself first to Jesus and then put yourself under the authority of His Word. The growth in your walk with Christ will happen when you surrender it all to Him and when you submit yourself to God's Word as the authority. And their giving and the example of their giving was so powerful that he decided to send Titus back to Corinth to encourage them, and to challenge them. Now, why was he doing this? Do you know why the Macedonians were giving? Paul went to Macedonia and he said, this is how much the Corinthians said they were going to give. The Corinthians came through with a giant pledge. I should say this. The Corinthians made a giant pledge, but they didn't follow through with it. They said, we're going to give this much but they hadn't given yet. And Paul had gone to Macedonia and said, here's how much the people in Corinth are giving. And and that would be like saying, here's what it would be, in a sense, uh, like doing. It would be like us going to the First Baptist Church of Dallas. And the First Baptist Church of Dallas uh, you know, with, we think of the thousands of members, and you have the people there. That, that in, in First Baptist Church of Dallas, they've been known in years to give a million dollars to Lottie Moon. Can you imagine bringing a million-dollar Lottie Moon offering? And imagine we go there, and they say, we're going to give this much to this cause. And then they didn't give it. And yet you come out here, uh, let's think of a, a small, humble church. They go out to First Baptist Church of Gene. And they got to First Baptist Church of Gene, and there's 20 people there. But their giving is so extravagant and so heartfelt. They're begging to give more. And you're sitting here knowing that you, you said, here, the first, the first Baptist Church of Dallas is going to give a million. And they say, well, we can do our part. And then you find out, oh, First Dallas didn't come through on their pledge. Well, that's kind of what happened here. The Corinthian church... This major metropolitan area with all the wealth had said they were going to give, but they didn't give. And yet these humble, persecuted, afflicted Macedonians who were poor, who were giving out of the abundance of their poverty, they did give. So Paul says, hey, Titus, head back over there to Corinth and tell them about these Macedonians and tell them they need to step up. They had pledged to give, but they hadn't done it. So he says in verse 6, Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, he should complete among you this grace. The grace of God is manifesting in the Macedonians. The grace of God should be manifesting in the Corinthians. How? Money giving. In their money giving. Why? Look at verse 7. Because as you excel in everything, Corinthians, you're excelling in everything. You're excelling in the spiritual disciplines, in your faith, in your speech, in your knowledge, in your earnestness. And, and our love for you is excelling. We, we love you like crazy. But he says, see that you excel in this act of grace also. You're, you're hitting it on all cylinders. Except for your spark plugs out right here. And we need to change that. The last verse is really Paul's argument in our text. He says you're overflowing in faith, knowledge, speech, earnestness. Make sure you're overflowing in giving. That's the message for us today too, isn't it? Something is wrong if we're abounding in all these areas, but we're not abounding in this one. We've located the deficiency. And we might say, golly, Paul's really getting into their business. But Paul had just been amazed. Imagine if... You know, We show these videos from the Kuntz, our missionaries in Ecuador. And aren't we always amazed? I'm just amazed that Matt gets into those little bitty airplanes and flies deep into the jungle there in Ecuador. And they land in a riverbed or they land on an airstrip that the people have made and they get out and they go to this little church that doesn't even have walls. It has a, a roof, but it doesn't even have walls. And they sit there on the floor and they worship God or they bring those little plastic chairs, you get it, Dollar General, and they sit down there and they have church. Imagine today... If Matt went down, flew there in the jungle, and he said, Hey, uh, our, our, church, our friends in Olney, their basement flooded, and they're going to have to build a new building. Imagine if they gave us a million dollars. Can you imagine that? If, the, if he comes up here and he says, Yeah, this, this little church out in the jungle where they don't even have shoes, yeah, they, they, they want to help with the building campaign. And they've really given everything that they have to help you with the building campaign what would we say? Take the money back. We know they can't afford that. But we would be inspired by their great love for us. And we would ask ourselves, is our faith, is our love showing up so brightly where the rubber hits the road? This is true. Somehow, here's how God has arranged it. That your love for Jesus isn't most reflected on your face during the music at church. And on behalf of the praise team, I can say that's a good thing, because I know that when we're singing these songs, if you guys had a picture of your faces, you would be very disappointed. We don't necessarily always see the joy, <laughs> okay? But your, 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 your joy in giving, your faith in the Lord, your love for Jesus, it's not something that we do here as a show, is it? But I'll tell you where it's more reflected, where it's more truly reflected. It's reflected in your bank statement. Your priorities. Now, I will say it would be good if our face and the joy on our face would match the joy in our heart. That would be a challenge for you uh, every Sunday. Just to, it, doesn't, it won't kill you to smile. Let me just say that as we worship together. But why is it? Why has God set it up that way where our bank account is a good indicator, a good barometer of where we are spiritually. I think it's because we need the constant training to put our faith in the Lord. Okay? I can say I have faith, I have faith, I have faith all day long, but how is that faith muscle really built up? It's, it's built up whenever I am giving regularly, and I'm giving generously, and I'm giving faithfully, and I'm giving cheerfully. That helps me say, I'm putting this money in God's hands and I'm practicing putting things in God's hands because there's going to come a point in your life where you're going to have a trial and you're going to have a circumstance and you're going to have a real need to be able to put your whole life in God's hand to get you through something. And you've been practicing and he's been building up that muscle. It's the same thing with prayer. Is it easy to pray for an hour? No, you start five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And you build up that muscle. God is training us to trust him, just like we train our children. Jesus said it like this, remember where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So when I'm putting my treasure into God's hands, I'm putting my heart into the hands of the Lord. Part of the cost of following Jesus does come down to faithful, sacrificial, cheerful giving to meet needs. And thankfully, there's two whole chapters of this. And we're going to be able to talk about it for a long time. So please come back next Sunday. But we have to meet needs, don't we? We meet the needs with the money. To pay the preacher, to keep the lights on, to build new buildings, to purchase literature for discipleship, to buy the food that we serve the children on Wednesday evenings, to buy the transients gasoline when they need to get out of town, to help people with light bills, to purchase things that help the orphaned foster children, to care for widows, When you decide to really follow Jesus, there should be one thing in your brain. This is going to be expensive. But giving money is an interesting thing. Giving money to the church is either the easiest thing you do spiritually or it's the hardest. I give a 10% tithe of my gross and then an offering on top of that. And it doesn't pain me. When I write that check, I don't sit there and think, oh man, that's a lot of money. I could have bought this or bought this or bought this. I don't expect anything in return. I started doing this years ago. It's developed as a habit. It's the first check I write. I consider that money to belong to the Lord. It doesn't belong to me. I don't try to think about how He should spend it. I give it. Now, not giving a tithe would be unthinkable for me. The, the, the reason is because I'm the pastor of the church. How could I stand up here and tell you to do it if I wouldn't do it myself? But I want to tell you this. I haven't always been a preacher. Uh, I was a lawyer, a school teacher, all these things, but, and I always felt the same way. Okay, It's not just because I'm the pastor. But I think we have to understand that this is a spiritual thing. It's easy for me to write the check. And I need to remember that as I'm sitting here writing that check, I need, to be, I need to be considering in my giving, I need to also be considering God's giving. Here's what the grace of God looks like. Here's the reason that we give and it's a spiritual act. Imagine the Father looking down upon your wretched sin-soaked, sin-thrilled, Christ-hating soul, and he decides he's going to bring you to himself. And he says to his son, this is going to be expensive. And then Jesus pays the price. There are some here who give more. But there are, there are other areas in our lives where, uh, where we're not generous. Where things are not expensive for us. Maybe in our prayer, in our Bible reading, loving people who are different, giving up time, sharing the gospel. We all have holes in our holiness, right? So I know I'm talking to people who say, I write the check and I give and that's great. Um, but when I'm thinking about what God has done, I need to also examine the other areas of my life where I might not be generous. Okay. Okay. Because it's easy to, if you're, if you're giving, it's really easy to hear a sermon about tithing, isn't it? If you're already giving, you're like, oh, I got this one. But what about the places in your life where you don't got it? All right, let this challenge you to realize that following Christ is expensive and everywhere. Don't have a hole in your holiness. But for others of you, if you don't give faithfully or sacrificially, or if you don't give with any joy, if you're sitting here and the idea of tithing seems absolutely impossible, and you don't talk about it with your spouse because you don't want to become convicted, and I'm really getting into your backyard here, and I'm telling you that if you're a member and you don't give substantially to the needs of God's people here, you need to repent, and that's the hole in your holiness. It's a spiritual issue. It's not just trying to get more money for the church. God doesn't need your money, but he's, he, he wants your life. So as we look at these two chapters, here's what I hope. I hope that if you're an automatic giver, your understanding will be revolutionized as you think about the giving that God has done, as you think about the grace of God, and you'll find new joy in it, to be able to imitate Christ who gave everything. And you'll think about that giving in a different way as an act of worship, where right now it just seems like something you almost do mindlessly. I hope you'll be challenged to look for another area of your life where you need change, where you need to be more generous. And if you don't have an income, uh, we have children in here who don't have an income. We have people that don't work that don't have an income. That's understandable. You're not ever asked in the Bible to give what you don't have. I always get sick when I see a television preacher telling people to put a gift on a credit card. That's not the way it works. You give according to your means. You give according to what you have. But perhaps if you, even if you don't have an, uh, an income, maybe there are areas of life where you're stingy. Especially for you younger people. I hope that you read this sermon or you you listen to this sermon and it and it burns into you so that when you do get that first paycheck, you'll know exactly what to do with it. And for those in the room that just simply can't bring themselves to give, times are uncertain. You don't have very much. I want to ask you a question. Can you imagine the Lord doing something in your heart? to where you began to think and act like these Macedonians. You know, these Macedonians could have probably found a thousand reasons not to give. You can always find a reason not to give. They probably had many better reasons not to give than we do. But see how eager they were. Can you imagine yourself actually eager to give like these Macedonians? Picture yourself, stop and picture yourself writing that check to the church. A generous gift and think, what if I had as much joy doing that as I do watching my kids open their presents on Christmas? You say, oh, I can't do that. And I say to you, here's the the recipe. Give Give yourself first to the Lord. The giving will take care of itself if you give yourself first to the Lord. This is a spiritual issue. It's a lordship issue. Give yourself first to the Lord, then the rest becomes easy. My friend Jeff Thomas, who we, we learned is going to be coming back around Easter to come speak to our pastor's group in Graham, he's the pastor from Wales that uh, pastored the same church for 50 years. And he told a story in his sermon on this passage. He said there was a missionary who was dealing with a tribal chief, and he was telling this chief about God. And the chief was trying to please the missionary's God, and so he gave the missionary a horse. And then he gave the missionary a belt. And then he gave the missionary some jewelry, and he gave him some more clothes. And the missionary said, listen, you're misunderstanding. God doesn't want your things. He wants you. And the chief replied, that's a very wise God, because he knows that if he has me, he has everything I have. I want you to remember back to the moment you understood the gospel and believed. And you received Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And if you heard the true gospel preached, if a preacher pleaded with you, he said to you, deny yourself, take up your cross every day, and follow Jesus. And he wasn't asking you to put money in the plate for Jesus. He was essentially doing what that missionary was doing. He was saying, put your your, your whole self in the plate. It was a call to give up your life. It was a call to give up being the Lord of your life, and there was probably something you said to yourself there in the pew as you squirmed in your seat or as you took the first step to walk an aisle or to attend a class on baptism or to come talk to me about how to become a Christian. If you heard the true gospel, you knew one thing, this is going to be expensive. If you will remember that you are giving Jesus your life because he gave his life for you, you will not struggle to give. You won't push back against it either. Nobody in heaven wishes they had given less. The Bible doesn't have a category for a stingy Christian. So if you're there, something's wrong. You need to repent, and you need to finally surrender your whole life, even your pocketbook, to Christ. If God's grace is real in your life, then everything changes. And one aspect of everything changing is that we have a heart that is faithful and generous and cheerful in our monetary gifting, giving.